God, you have such a great name. Lord, your name is the only name by which men are saved. Lord, you, your name is the name of power. Your name is the name of love, the name of grace, the name of compassion. And Lord, we praise your great name this morning. Lord, move in our hearts. Do mighty, mighty things among us, Lord. Let us feel your presence. Let us know the power of your love. Let us know the power of your salvation. And God, let us be completely and totally abandoned to you. Let us be ready to be used, all of us, every part of us, everything that we do, everything in life. Let it be given wholly and completely to you, God. Let us be on mission with you as individuals and as a church. God, use us and move in a mighty way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, take your Bibles. Turn to Luke 19. Luke chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 27 this morning. Now, on the back of your bulletin it says uh, your talents are your calling. And, and that's true, and, but I changed it. Uh, if you look at the slide, it says your abilities are your calling. Now, those two terms, abilities and talents, are going to go hand in hand. And so it kind of works out that I changed the title on you. So you've got two different words for the same thing. Because that's what we're looking at. It is a talent, but it's an ability. We're going to look at the parable of the, a, a ruler who went away and, and gave his servants some money to take care of, uh, to, to steward, while he was gone. But before we get to that, let's, let's ask some questions. Let's kind of prepare uh, ourselves, prepare our, our minds and our hearts and let's ask some things. How are you gifted? What I mean by that is, is some of you say, I don't have any talents. That's not true. You, you all have something you can do. What are your abilities? You know, I, I, I can't fix things. I mean, not in detail. I'm no mechanic. I can change the oil and maybe change the shocks. and I can follow instructions, but I'm just not equipped to do that. I, I can't draw worth a hoot. My mom can, my wife can, one of my boys can very well, the other one's working on it and he can do a good job too, but I, I didn't get any of the art genes when it comes to, to drawing and painting and that kind of thing. I'm not talented for that, but I do have other things I can do. What about you? You have gifts, you have abilities, you have talents that you have that sure somebody else has. I'm not saying you're the only one in the world that has it. But what I am saying is that you in this room right now, you called according to God's purpose, have those talents and have those abilities. Now, you don't just have them by accident and you don't just have them to make money and you don't just have them to live a great life. You have them because God gave them to you to use, to use for him. See, that's what we fail to understand. And, and we, we look at the world and we see great ability, great talents being used for very, very evil purposes. We have phenomenal speakers. We have musicians that can just play anything, can sing anything. We have poets and, and artists and, and, and authors and all of these things that... that 
we think are, are, are talents, are, are things that you can't really learn. But even more than that, I mean, we have engineers, we have restaurateurs, we have, think of any industry, think of any type of life skill. And we have people that excel in it that are both using it for God's glory, and then we have those that aren't. Those are all gifts given by God, whether you're using for His glory or not. We have our skills, we have our abilities, because God gave them to us. So God gave you those things. Now, what we're going to see today as we read through this passage is that we are in definite danger of using those things that we don't use, of losing those things, rather, that we don't use for God's glory. Our passage, again, like I said, is Luke 19, 11 through 27. Follow along with me as I read that. This is Jesus talking. Uh, this is, they are actually in Jericho now. He is about to go into Jerusalem. We're just a few verses from, as a matter of fact, the next, the next story Luke tells us is the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. So we're a week away from the crucifixion here, just to give you an idea of, of the time frame. And also, this passage, this parable, is mirrored, told similarly, in uh, Matthew. Uh, very likely, it's Jesus told these parables over and over. You know how we are. We're kind of dense. We have to be told a number of times to get things. So we see a similar one over in Matthew. Verse 11 as they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then return. He called ten of his slaves, gave them ten minas, and told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him. Now, these aren't the slaves. These are his subjects. His subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those slaves he had given the money to so he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, your, minas, your mina has earned ten more minas. Well done, good slave, he told, them, told him. Because you've been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, You will be over five towns. Verse 20, And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it hidden away in a cloth because I was afraid of you, for you're a tough man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. He told him, the master, I will judge you by what you have said, or literally by your own mouth, by your own words, you evil slave. If you knew I was a tough man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. I tell you, the master's talking again, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these my enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. There are a lot of directions to go with this parable. Jesus is teaching a number of things here. Primarily, what he's teaching, you read that verse uh, 11, 
the disciples and everybody that's following Jesus is expecting once he gets to Jerusalem that he's going to be this triumphal king and he's going to usher in this new kingdom that's going to take over or overthrow Roman rule. That's what they think is happening. So he's telling this story to make clear to them, no, that's not how it's going to happen. I'm telling you this story because I'm the nobleman. I'm going to go away to get my kingship, to, to be crowned, so to speak. And then I will come back. So he's, he's, this parable primarily is just to let them know it's going to be a while, all right? It's not happening like you think it's going to happen. So just hold on. I will come back, but it's going to be according to, to my time frame, not yours. And then my rule will come. So know that going in. Know that that's his main purpose. But there are also a couple of other purposes he had telling them the story. One, uh, one other one, one minor issue, I guess, is that the Jew, it's, it's the rejection of the Jews here. Notice in verse uh, 14 when he says, But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We don't want this man to rule over us. Then if you drop down to verse 27, those same subjects were brought to him and slaughtered. See, those are the people that, that rejected Christ while he's on earth. They reject him now, or rejected him then, I should say. He went away, they talked bad about him, didn't even want him to come back, and when he did, that's their destruction. Well, that's the reality that's going to occur when Jesus comes back. Those that don't want to follow him, both when he was alive and today while he's gone, they will see their destruction, sadly. They will be thrown into the lake of fire at the final judgment. So that's the story he's trying to tell, particularly the, the rejection of the Jews. In general, uh, the rejection of anyone who, who doesn't follow him. But the, the, the other issue here, and this, this is the one that, that I'm teaching on today, because as you can see, I could go at least three different directions with this parable, but this is the way we're going today, is the fact that while Jesus was gone, or while, rather, this nobleman was gone, was gone those two go hand in hand, he gave responsibilities to his slaves. Servant's a nicer word, I'll admit, but slave is the truth. Slave is what this word here is. Remember, we've talked about in the past how we put ourselves into slavery with Christ. He, pay, he pays for our freedom, then we have a choice whether or not we are going, going to accept that freedom and in turn enslave ourselves to him. We are Christ's slave. So it's the story of Jesus leaving and leaving people in charge of his ministry, in charge of his work, and then coming back and judging how the work went. These, these servants were given minas. Now, in the Matthew story, they're given actual talents. A talent, uh, in the Matthew story, a talent would be thousands of dollars. It would be a lot of money. A mina would be the equivalent then. Let me back up. A talent was uh, a year or two's salary. Back then, that was the equivalent of a talent. Amina was the equivalent of six months' salary, thereabout. And to, and it really, for them, it, it, the numbers get odd. It's really only about 20 bucks for them, if you, if you compare it to today's money. It's not a lot of money. For them, it was. For them, it was a lot. 
but just go with the idea that this was more money than the slaves had ever and uh, likely handled in their lives. So they're given this money, and they're supposed to do something with it. They are supposed to be stewards of what this, this nobleman has given them. Let's look at the passage. Let's look at 11 through 15 first. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then returned. He called ten of his slaves, gave them ten minas, and told them, engage in business until I come back. Now I've already said this, Jesus is the nobleman here. In the parable, we are to equate Jesus with this nobleman. We are the servants. The people of God, his followers, the ones are, who are enslaved to Christ. We are the servants. And finally, the mina, minas are our abilities, our talents, our, our education. However you want to apply that, it's those things that you can do. There may be others, as I said, that can do the same things, but there's still things that you can do. Little historical background of this passage, too. As Jesus tells this story, immediately what's going to come to mind to his disciples is the fact that in 40 B.C., uh, at a time when maybe some of these people were still alive, but, but probably not, um, or were alive, I should say, but probably not, Herod had to go to Rome to get authority to rule over Judea. And he was made something like king over, over Judea. But he had to go to Rome and get the authority. He had to travel a long way away and come back. But even closer to home, even closer to them time-wise, was Herod's son, Archelaus, who in 4 BC had to do the same thing. He had to go to Rome and get his authority to come back and rule. Now, Archelaus was evil personified. His subjects, as verse uh, 14 tells us, hated him. And the Jews sent a delegation to Rome after Archelaus saying, do not make this man ruler over us. It turns out, in fact, that Archelaus was not made king. He was giving a, given a, a lesser title, but he still had the authority to rule. So as Jesus tells this story, not only are they seeing Jesus go away, he's not, he's not only telling them uh, a parable to, to paint a picture for them in their minds, but he's also using a parable that, that uses information that fits for them. They understand this concept, and, and we don't know if Jesus' parables are, are true stories or not, if he's telling something that really happened, or if he's telling an, an example, just, just making up a story to prove a point. Either way, it doesn't matter. It doesn't ma make it any less God's word. It doesn't mean Jesus is lying. But here is at least one instance where we know that his parable is based on something that really happened. So the nobleman is going away, the nobleman has is, is given them the minas, and he tells them to engage in business until I come back. Now, what was his business? We don't know. But what's Jesus' business? Saving souls. We know without a doubt what Jesus' business is. And when he said in Matthew 28, 
go make disciples. When he said in Acts 1.8, witness to the world, and tells them, do it until I come back. That's the business that we are to be about. And each and every one of our abilities, our talents, our skills, is to be used for that purpose. See, our abilities are not for us to sit on. And we're going to see that in this passage. Jesus does not give us the, the, the wherewithal to do something and then expect us to put it in our pocket and sit on it every Sunday morning. That's not what we're called to do, and that's not what the servants were called to do. See, Jesus provides the abilities. But when Jesus provides the abilities, Jesus expects us to work. Verses 16 through 19. The ruler has come back. And the first, uh, I'm sorry, verse 15, I skipped a verse. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those slaves he had given the money to so he could find out how much they had made in business. And verse 16, I pick up on the screen. The first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. Well done, good slave, he told him. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, you will be over five towns. It's interesting, a couple of interesting things here. First of all, they invested, we don't know how long they were gone, but easily months this nobleman was gone, maybe even a year or two, depending on what had to, had to go on. They took 20 bucks, the first, uh, first slave did, took 20 bucks, and turn it into a hundred. Now that's a thousand, I'm sorry, he took 10, 20 bucks and turned it into 200. 10 more, 10 more uh, minas. He got a thousand percent increase on his investment. That's pretty good return on an investment. We would like that return, I think. Now, uh, that kind of blows our mind, but it's not unexpected in this age. You could invest something, you could start a business and make a killing, just as easily as you could lose everything. So even though the, the return was high, it was at great risk that this slave used his, ten, his one mina. There was extreme risk that he would lose it. The other thing that we see here is that he took $20, $20 and made $200. And in return, he was made basically king, mayor, I guess, over ten cities. That, really? Well, let's look at it. First, we need to see that uh, the resources were used for the noblemen, but the slaves received the increase. If you read it, he never asks for his money back. He calls the one slave. The one slave says, I took your one, I made ten. And the nobleman says, great, you did a good job. Here, you get to be ruler over ten cities. But, but the slave got to keep it. The one who turned the one mina into five got to keep his money and got to rule over, 
over five towns. See, that not only did they get to keep the increase, but they got this reward that far outweighed, or appears to far outweigh the, the, uh, the increase that he got, the responsibility even that they had. I mean, if, if I turn around and make, you know, a thousand percent interest on something, it sounds to me like I just I hit the jackpot. It doesn't sound like I was that smart and could rule over ten cities, honestly. But the noblemen understood that they had been faithful and that they would get a reward. And the reward, keep this in the back of your mind, was based on the nobleman, not the slave. See, our abilities are not for our own increase, but for the kingdom's. When we go to work for God, our goal is not to improve our lives. When God gives us abilities, those abilities may very well be what we use to live. That, that, they may be what we use to, uh, to make a living, to, to feed our children, to, to, to have a home. But that doesn't mean that those abilities are only given for that purpose. Today, we're going to have a, a, a Bible school meeting after church. And uh, there are a number of opportunities for anybody here to serve. Now, some of you are thinking, you know, I really don't want to be a teacher. We've got, how many teaching positions do we have, Etta, off the top of your head? Eight to ten. We'll go with that number. Ten to twelve. Something like that. We've got probably 25 to 30 jobs that can be done. Over half of those jobs have nothing to do with being in a classroom with little ones. There are some of you who can build anything. You see it, you can build it. We're going to have all kinds of props that we want built for VBS. Model airplanes and hangers and, and I'm talking about hangers for clothes, I'm talking airplane hangers and, and all this kind of stuff that you really need to come to the meeting to see about. But you have an ability that very likely has earned you money in the past that God's going to be asking you to use to spread the gospel to five-year-olds to 12-year-olds. And you're thinking, oh, all I can do is build. I can't. No. Because trust me, when you get a six-year-old that comes in and sees this panorama up here of, of an airplane hanger with model airplanes hanging from the ceiling and, and toolboxes and airport lights and whatever else we're able to do, you have a part in that six-year-old getting interested in something that he's going to spend a week learning about Jesus in. So you, by your building, have just affected the heart of a six-year-old, and you never stepped foot in the class. So your ability, though it may be something you do for a living, God gave it to you for his purpose, for his use and make sure that we're doing that. So Jesus provides the ability. Jesus expects us to work. But lastly, we lose what we don't use. 20 through 26. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it hidden away in a cloth because I was afraid of you. For you're a tough man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. He told him, the master did, I will judge you by what you have said, you evil slave. 
If you knew I was a tough man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why didn't you put the money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. Remember what I said at the beginning. The overall theme of this passage is Jesus' going away and returning. So this part right here, and even the part where he was talking to the mina who increased 10 and increased to 5, or talking to the slaves that increased the mina to 10 and to 5, the, the overall picture is the judgment seat, the end when Jesus comes back. But I believe, and I think it's clear throughout Scripture, that there's also another principle at work here that those talents, those abilities, those resources that we have, that we fail to use for Christ, He takes away. And we are no longer able to use them for Christ like we should have to begin with. See, we see some things here. First of all, the slave had a completely wrong view of the master. And he wasn't loyal to the master. He said the master... Uh, I was afraid of you. Look at that. I was afraid of you. For you're a tough man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't show. And then the, 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 the master, he doesn't refute him. doesn't say that's not me at all. But his prior actions do refute that. He just gave away 10 cities for taking 20 bucks and not blowing it at the, at, at the arcade. I mean, really, you, you got 10 cities... For, for, for bringing back $200, five cities for bringing back $100. So in no way was this master a hard man where he collects what he didn't deposit because you notice he didn't take back the money. He didn't take back the 10 minas. As we see here at the end, he, when he takes the one mina away from the unfaithful slave, he gives it to the one who what? Who has 10 minas. He never took that money. So the, this, this slave had a completely wrong view uh, of the master. And this led him to not do the work that was required. He didn't even do the minimum. Can you, I, I can't imagine what he would have gotten if he had just put the money in the bank and let it collect interest. And, and they did this. It was, um, you would take the money to the money changers. And, and, and what they would do is they would lend the money to the money changer at interest, and they would do whatever they need to do. I mean, it's just like a bank now. You put the money in the bank, they, they're paying you very, very little nowadays, but they're paying you interest so they can take that money and loan it over here to build a house and loan it over here to build a car, et cetera, et cetera. The money doesn't sit there. It's used, and you get paid. What would he, this slave have gotten if he had just done that? The bare minimum. But he didn't even do that. He took what the master had given him, and it, this version, he said it hid it in the napkin. It's actually the, the sweat cloth around their neck. He just stuck it in there, make sure nobody ever stole it. Nobody ever got it. Nothing happened to it. And here you go. When you come back, you can have it. See, there's a greater, a greater imagery here 
This slave was a part of the community, but there was a no, no relationship with the master. And this is where we get down, I think, to the meat of the matter. In our churches today, we have people who are a part of the community. They're here every week, or almost every week, or maybe every other week, or once a month. But they come. They consider themselves a part of the community. But what are they doing with the abilities that God gave them, that Jesus gave them, to use while he was gone? They've taken it, and they put it in their little cloth, and they do nothing with it. And when Jesus comes back, or when Jesus just comes to them and asks, what have you done? Here you go. I didn't do anything with it, but thanks for letting me hold it for a while. See, there's no relationship with the master. We have people that assume the very day I tell God that I'll build a, a, a styrofoam airplane for VBS, he's going to call me to foreign missions and send me to, to the jungles of Ecuador. I just know that's, that's going to happen. So instead of doing the minimum of building a styrofoam airplane for VBS, I'm going to do nothing because they don't have a relationship with the master. They've taken what he's given and said, no, we can't use that. No, God, that's mine. You can't have it. He was a part of the community, but there was no relationship. And then we see that he lost what little he had. The master said, take it from him, give it to the guy who has, a, has the rest of it. See, God gave it, God can take it away. Um, Bill Cosby, in, in one of his stand-ups, and he's well known for this, and a lot of people say it nowadays, but I think it originated with him, in punishing his children, he was very quick to tell them, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. And that's basically what God is saying here about our abilities. I gave you these abilities to use for me. You think they're so great, you think you're so happy using them for you, I can take them away. And then what are you going to do? You see, as individuals and as a church, our priority has to be that we go to work with the things God has given us to use. Individually, as church members, you have abilities that you are not using for God right now. And I don't know, I don't know your reason. I don't know why you're not, but you aren't. You know, I, I don't want to set myself up as an example here uh, too much, but honestly, I don't have to play the piano on Sunday mornings. I like playing the piano. I, I, I've enjoyed it ever since I didn't have to practice anymore and I quit taking lessons when I was a kid. Um, I didn't enjoy it then, but since I've gotten older and realized how stupid I was for not taking the lessons like I should have, I've enjoyed playing the piano. I don't have to. I mean, let's be honest, that's, that's why I got Mike. So I wouldn't have to do that anymore. But I like doing it. And, and for me, that's a part of worship. I, I do worship as much, maybe even more, 
playing than I do when I'm sitting in the pew. Because for me, if I'm sitting down here, my mind can wander and I can sing the words and, and never think of them. But up here, I've got to be attentive to what's going on. So for me, this is, this is worship. But I do feel like that I have talents that if, if I didn't use, God would take them. God would take my ability for however he saw fit. I want to use as much as possible what God has provided me with. And we need to do that as a church as well. See, we can all think in the past, I believe, and, and maybe right now, of a time where we failed to act and we lost not only the opportunity to act because of the timing, but we lost the ability. And if you think about it, think of the times when, you know, churches, that I think this is an easy example, Think of the times when there were more people here and the opportunity to do more ministry was there. But for whatever reason, ministry wasn't done. The resources weren't used. The people weren't used. The people weren't encouraged to use their abilities. And then slowly, the church lost its ability. Till you get to the point where when something else comes along, well, we can't do that because we can't afford it or don't have the people or whatever. The time was there when the ability was there. But because it wasn't used, that ability has been taken. That's corporately as a church. This is my grandfather. This is my daddy's daddy, obviously by the last name. Uh, this was 1942. He served in World War II. He was in um, North Africa and Italy. Uh, he, uh, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but he, he, he was a truck driver before he went to the war. Uh, he was a truck driver during the war, troop transport, etc., etc. He, um, in Italy, I believe, ran over a landmine. Uh, truck blew up. He was put, sent to Germany hospital for a couple of months, if I'm not mistaken. Refused the Purple Heart. Because he was married, and he didn't want Mamaw to know he had been hurt. He didn't want her to worry. So he said, don't give me a purple heart, because that's paperwork and it goes home. I'll heal up, send me back. And that's what happened. He healed up, they sent him back. He was mostly deaf the rest of his life because of primarily the explosion. Prior to this, somewhere in his teen years, his brother, my Uncle Bud, uh, Paul was his name, felt the call to be a pastor. Bud did. Bud accepted the call to be a pastor. In the excitement of his call, granddaddy felt the call to be a pastor too. But determined that he was just getting caught up in Bud's excitement, that God really wasn't calling him to be a pastor and he never pursued it. Now, he was very active in church. He, he, he read a, a lot theologically. He, he did a lot of studying. He was very knowledgeable of the Bible, but he never went into the ministry. In 1976, 77, I think. It may have been a little earlier than that. I'm not real sure. He developed throat cancer because he smoked. 
And the doctor said, actually, the biggest thing that contributed to his, the, the smoking didn't help, it, it, it made it worse, but he would eat the hottest foods and drink his coffee as, I mean, if you boiled it and poured it in his cup, he would pour it down his throat. I mean, and the doctor said that that was one of the things contributed to his throat cancer. In the process of the throat cancer, he lost his voice box. He had his larynx taken out. And if you see the smoking, anti-smoking commercials today, and they've got the, guy, the people on there with the holes in their throat, that was my grandfather. He couldn't talk. Now, he developed a way to talk that you see on them. Some of them use the little thing they put on their throat. He didn't, he didn't do that for a while, but he developed a way that he would... It's almost like wheezing and then mouthing the words. And it, 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 when, he developed, when he first did it and he was young, you, my parents say, I don't remember. I don't remember what he sounded like uh, Normally. Now, they tell me he sounded like my daddy, but that's, you know, that's just my daddy. I, I, I can't put that in granddaddy's voice. And for whatever reason, they never recorded him before the surgery, which they kick themselves now at great length for. But he lost his ability to speak and be understood. Uh, he would go to restaurants, and Mama would have to order for him. Um, I mean, he could talk, and most people could understand him, but if you weren't used to it, it kind of caught you by surprise. We found out much later on, and it, it may have been after he died in 95, I guess, that Mamaw told us that he felt like every day of his life that God took his voice because he refused the call to the ministry. Now we think, that's mean of God. God gave Granddaddy the ability to speak and then called Granddaddy to use that ability to spread the gospel. And Granddaddy said no. Whose Mina was it? Whose voice was it? Now, that is, I will say, that is Granddaddy's opinion that, that it happened that way. But I believe, biblically, that is a very, very accurate opinion. God gives us things that he expects us to use for him. And when he don't, he says, fine, I'll take it back. So that at the age of 60-ish, my brother was the oldest grandchild at that point, And he would have been seven or eight, he now can't remember what granddaddy sounded like with his regular voice. The next grandson, there were two between me and my brother, not in my family, but in an aunt's family. They can't remember either. So not only did granddaddy not get to, not use his voice for what it, he was called to, but his grandchildren have no memory of of him calling to them outside, of him, you know, talking around the table. My, my mom's dad, I can see right now him sitting around Christmas table telling stories of, of things he would do to people when he worked on the railroad. You know, he always had stories he would tell. Granddaddy, because it was such a strain and because it was difficult for him to be understood, 
rarely told those stories. So I don't have a lot of that imagery, and none of his other grandchildren do either. All because granddaddy was disobedient. What abilities do you have that you haven't used? As we've looked at, this kind of brings us to a, a review of the last couple of months. We learned with Moses, if God shows you what he's doing, he's inviting you to be a part of that. Has God shown you anything that he is doing in the lives of people around you, people around the world? If he has shown you something, he is inviting you to be a part of that. If he's inviting you, then he's calling you. Don't just think that as, oh, that was sweet, God invited me, but he knows I can't come. You know, we do that sometimes, right? We invite people to parties when we know they can't make it just because we want to be polite. We send them an invitation so they feel good, but, you know, we know they can't come, so it's okay. God doesn't send those kind of invitations. If God invites, it's a calling on your life. If he calls you, he's going to provide. See, he went away, and while he's gone, he left us minas. He left us talents. He left us abilities to use. He provides those things. The, 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 the master gives them and tells us, while I'm gone, use these. And if he provides, then we have to act. We weren't given these things to sit on. We weren't given these abilities to say, God, thanks, they're nice, I'll make some money with it, personally put it in my bank, but when you come back, I'm just going to give back what you gave me. That is not what he has called us to do. And then if we don't act, we lose the opportunity, we lose the ability, and we lose the reward. Just like the third slave in the story. Just like granddaddy. He lost the opportunity. When he said, no, I will not use my voice to preach, to pastor. He lost the opportunity. Life got in the way. World War II, children, etc., etc. He never got the opportunity again. Then later on, when he had the opportunity now to affect his grandchildren to teach his grandchildren, he lost the ability to do that. And then, ultimately, I know my granddaddy's in heaven, I have no doubt about that, but he has lost a reward. He lost the reward in this life. Uh, I was, let me think, granddaddy never got to see me as a minister. Certainly never got to see me as a pastor, but he never got to see me as a minister at all. He died, I believe, in the spring of 95, if I'm remembering correctly, and I began my first church as a summer youth minister that summer. So he lost rewards on earth. Not, not that he didn't, not that his death uh, was a result of this. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is 
there were some things that he could have been a part of, my nurturing, my, my building up, my, my, uh, my training to be a minister, that he never got to be involved in. And then when the time came, yeah, I, it just it didn't work out. The, the throat cancer didn't kill him. It was a number of other things. But he still missed out on some rewards. I don't want us... I don't want you, I don't want me, I don't want our church to miss out on the rewards because we say we don't have the people or because our people say I don't want to use my abilities or our people say we can't, we can't afford it. We can't do that because it costs too much. We can't do this because it's too much effort. That is not why God or why Jesus left the abilities, left those minas in our fellowship while he was gone. He said, use them. Use them for him. Ultimately, our calling is salvation. See, that is the first gift that Jesus gives. That is the first step. That is the first mina that Jesus gives. It says, here, here's the free gift of salvation. What will you do with that? Will you take it and go, thanks? And then when he comes back, you give it back, having never done anything with that free gift? Or will you take that gift of salvation and make it yours? Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And confess that Jesus is Lord. Confess that you have accepted him as Savior. See, all this other stuff, all these other minas and the talents, all those things only make a difference if we're a part of the community by relationship and not by location. See, the third slave was a part of the community. He was one of the slaves. He was there every time the master came. But he misunderstood who the master was, and he did not have a relationship with the master so that he understood, if I do this, I will get this. If I'm faithful with a little, he's going to be faithful with a lot. He didn't understand that. And we can't... We don't want that in our church. We don't want people who are sitting there thinking, I'm a part of the community, but Jesus just asks too much. He's mean. He tells me I have to witness. He tells me I have to be good. He tells me I have to do this and all the rules. And Jesus says, I want you to take what I've given you and use it. And the first thing I want you to take is my sacrifice, my life, and use it. Let's pray. Father, if there's one here today who has not trusted you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that today they would take that free gift, they would take it, and they would accept it, they would believe, and that they would use that. It's there for us to use. God, it's there for us to, to, to know salvation with. I pray that today we would do that. Lord, move in each and every heart. 
If there are other decisions here today, I pray that those decisions will be made in the quietness of the moments that you would move on our hearts. Lord, those of us who have abilities, have talents, have skills that we've been holding back for whatever reason, I pray today that we would give them to you and say, God, this is all yours anyway. Everything we have is from you. Our money, our skills, our abilities, our talents, the church's money, the church's uh, abilities, the church's buildings, all of, this are, all of these are gifts from you. I pray that we use them for your glory and for none other. But that we will use them for your glory and not hold back. Lord, move in our hearts today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is your decision today? Do you accept Christ today? Do you need to be baptized? We're going to have a baptismal service next week. We have one coming. Have you accepted Christ, but you've never been scripturally baptized as a believer, not as a baby, as a believer, immersed in water? Is that what God's calling you to do? Is he calling you to give your talents to be used here at the church or further away? Is he calling you to join the church? What is he leading you to do? Let's make those decisions today as he works on our hearts and as Edda and Mike lead us.